Welcome to the Wealth Standard Radio Show, your gold standard in everything financial. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Thanks for joining us for this week's edition of the Wealth Standard Radio. Uh, If you're looking for us on Paradigm Life Radio, we're still going to be there, but we're transitioning off of that slowly to where everything is going to be run through um, this new channel, the Wealth Standard Radio. So be sure to change your podcatcher or whatever you're using to, to grab this and listen to it. Uh, but we certainly appreciate whether you're joining us live or you've downloaded this episode. We know there's lots of other things out there you can be doing that are probably a lot more fun listening to us. So thanks for being here. Now, before you, you turn off the dial, because this isn't Patrick, uh, this is uh, Brad Gibb I'm hosting today. And like I said, before you turn it off and leave, because it's just me, wait till you hear who we have on uh, to, to have the discussion with us. Um, I think it's going to be a really good discussion. We've got Ryan Lee, an agent here at Paradigm Life, with us today. How's it going, Ryan? Hey, it's going good, Brad. Thanks for taking the time to uh, to do this radio show today. And I've got to go back and just say we are going to make this a fun radio show. So don't turn the dial. Keep it on your uh, your iPod or your iPhone or whatever you got today. And we're going to be talking about some fun stuff. We do. We've we've got a really interesting topic. We've We've uh, that that I think is 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 going to be valuable. But before we jump into that, uh, just a couple house, uh, other couple house cleaning items. Um, if this is the first time you've listened to us, or you're just getting uh, exposed to some of the thoughts here, we've got lots of resources on our website. Visit www.paradigmlife.net. Uh, we've got an e-learning module on there called Infinite 101. There's access to hours and hours of introductory introductory material. Uh, if you want to go more advanced, we've got other modules that uh, if you reach out to us through either info at paradigmlife.net or just through the contact page there, uh, there's there's even more that, that we can make available. Uh, download prior podcasts. We've got um, webinars. I mean, just tons of, of information and content out there. So make sure to go check all that out and uh, leave us your feedback or, or get in touch with us. I if think you we just more. got the resources page up too, right? So, I mean, there's a resources page right there on paradigmlife.net that will have additional resources, articles. That's kind of where we're just kind of dumping all yeah, of everything that, that, that we've done. Yeah. Good. Yeah, go check that out. That is new. Um, but that should be kind of your one-stop, excuse me, one-stop shop to everything we've got going. Okay. So today's topic is risk. I think this maybe goes well with the October theme, scary and spooky. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're going to talk about risk. And, and like we do at Paradigm Life, I think Patrick knew what he was doing when he named the company Paradigm. We're going to try to break some paradigms, talk about some of the misconceptions and misunderstandings around it, and, and what we really need to understand as investors and savers and those preparing for you know, future income and, and retirement and all of that, how risk plays a part in that. Okay. So when you first hear risk... Uh, Ryan, I'll have you help me answer this. When most people first think about risk, what's what's the definition that pops to mind? Man, I run. I get scared. Uh, the definition of risk is you know the fear of loss, losing something, right? Taking a chance, you know, doing something that's maybe out of the normal a little bit. But risk is the fear of loss. Yeah. So out. Well, not even the the fear of loss. The potential. The potential we all loss. we all yeah. fear yep. that. Yep. And yeah, outside of the investing world, that's the way we look at it, right? I mean, the definition. I mean, just scrolling through, kind of. Uh, Dictionary definitions here, uh, you know, a situation involving risk, exposure to danger, exposure, to danger, harm, or loss, the possibility of loss, injury, or peril, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's what the, everything else defines risk as. Yeah. Something we, bad happening, right? Yeah. And that's something we as human beings are trained and taught to avoid. That's why we have fight or flight, mm-hmm. right? We want to get out of those situations. But when we bring that definition into the investing world, what are we taught about risk as it relates to investments? 
So it, it, it's kind of counterintuitive, but we're taught that if we take more risk, we're going to get a better reward. Okay. Okay. So this is something that's always, I've always struggled with this. So you're telling me if I increase my exposure to situations of peril, mm-hmm. I will make more money. I think that's what the traditional financial world tells you. Take more risk, get more reward. Yeah. You take more risk and you're going to get a million dollars. Yeah. And hopefully the listeners out there, this is resonating with you. This, this is what you've more or less been taught that, it, you know, depending on, you know, you're always looking at your own risk profile and the more you can justify to take on risk, the more money you're going to make. You know, the, the one word that always, that just kind of tickles my funny bone a little bit is your risk tolerance, right? If you sit down with a financial planner, it's all about what your risk tolerance is. So how many times yeah. can I hit you before, before you, you get, get a, mad, yeah. right? So, you know, what's your <laughs> tolerance Before you say uncle, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so much of that has to do just with time. Yeah. It doesn't have anything to do with sophistication or even what else you have. Most of it's just how long do you have to retire? Right. Yeah. And how long can I hit you? Right. And you can still get back up before it's too late. Right. I mean, if you're young, <laughs> you should have a much higher tolerance because you can be hit for 30 years before, you know, you have to turn around and say, okay, stop. Stop. Yeah. Now oh, that, that's a good way to think about it. Um, I've pulled up just uh, Investopedia, which kind of is investing for the layman. And we're going to read through a little bit of their definition of risk. And we're okay. going to see where this concept is maybe derailed because they start out great. They say that the, the definition of risk is the chance that an investment's actual returns will be different than expected. Risk includes the possibility of losing some or all of the original investment. I mean, that makes me scared. That makes me want to, to run, right? And then they give us some, some ways of measuring that. Um, and then, it, then, then they go on to what we're more taught about. They say a fundamental idea in finance is the relationship between risk and return. The greater amount of risk that an investor is willing to take on, the greater the potential for return. The reason for this is that investors need to be compensated for taking additional risk. Now, what key word exists in this definition that most people leave out? Potential, for sure. Potential, right? right? We're told, we kind of water it down and say increased risk, increased return. Right. I mean, it's just kind of a given. You take more re- risk and you're going to get more of a reward. Yep. That's, that's the way it's talked and, about and today. The key to it here is potential. Mm-hmm. And there's only a potential for it. So that that begs the question of well, what do we need to do to to control that or, or understand that? Right. Okay? That's very different than just, it's not math. It's not A equals B, right? It's not increased risk guarantees you or gives you, it just only gives you the possibility of that. Right. Because we all know that if you took $10,000 and buried it in your backyard and dug it up 30 years later, you'd have $10,000. Right. What you can buy with it might be another question, but we're not exposing it to any risk. So we do understand that we have to expose ourselves to some amount of risk, but we do need to understand that it's only a possibility of a return. That's kind of the first thing. Correct. Okay. So from there, let's let's kind of jump off of that and and go back to just you know our everyday life. If if we have a situation where we're exposed to risk, what do we do to 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 mitigate that or reduce it? I mean, what what's the the most logical way we can protect ourselves from those catastrophic events? You know, early on in my investing career, if you want to call it that, uh, you know, I, I read a lot of Robert Kiyosaki, and to be honest, I still do read a lot of Robert Kiyosaki today because I like the way he he you know, distills ideas. And I think from, from some of the books I've read with him, the key to mitigating risk or not mitigating, but at least minimizing risk is through education, right? I mean, if you're going to invest, you are taking risk. 
And you know this this could bring up an, an interesting discussion of what's the difference between saving versus investing. Mm -hmm. Investing is the potential for a higher reward, but you are you are assuming some risk. There's ways to mitigate or minimize that risk, and much of that comes through education. Okay, so let's talk. You mentioned the difference between saving and investing. I'm mm -hmm. not sure a lot of people really have made that much of a de delineation. Is right. that important, or are we just splitting hairs at this point? Well, you know, that's an interesting thing. You know, as, as I talk to people, it sounds, for most people, savings feels like what you put in the bank, right? Mm -hmm. You save because you plan on spending it, and so you, you're feeling like that's pretty safe. But we kind of say savings is what goes in the bank. Investing is what goes in the stock market, essentially, some type of a qualified plan or a managed service or something like that. But a lot of times, people equate their investing as savings. You know, they, they go to work, they check off the box that says, yes, I'm on schedule to save every two weeks, you know, deduct it right out of my paycheck. And they're investing for retirement. But a lot of times when you hear them talk about it, it's always they're saving for retirement. There really is no fundamental mindset that they might lose some of their money. And I think 2008 was a big shocker to a lot of people who were saving for retirement, mm -hmm. but really figured out they're not actually saving, they're investing for retirement. Yeah. And if you look at most of the, the commercials and media around 401k accounts and mutual funds and, and those types of safe, quote unquote, safe investments, the the terminology used is saving for retirement, right. not investing, not right. taking risk for retirement. Because that, that would I think that would get a whole different result, right? Correct. Um let let's let's go out of the, the financial world world for a minute and let's say that you I mean you own a home, right? You 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 have that. What risks could come to your to the you know, your home well i mean you know i have three kids that live in my home so it feels like it's at risk every single day <laughs> I, that's not one that we can really do anything about uh, but yeah. what other risks <laughs> you know there's always weather um uh -huh. you know here in utah we're getting ready for snow i mean the snow is going to come down and every year it seems like trees collapse power lines fall down yep you know roofs get damaged and so there's weather yep. causes a lot of risk so yep natural disaster what else um, well, we just got a puppy and that's something I can't wow. control a little bit. That has been a risk as well. Um, you know, kind of chewing up things mm -hmm. and, and making my yeah. home a little bit of a mess. And everybody has the, that potential of a fire maybe breaking out. So right. we have fire departments and all that, that could totally destroy right. a home. Burglary. I mean, you Bur know, mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're could be vandalized. Vandalized, right. right. Okay. Right. So in those events, in order to have a, better, a, a more favorable outcome, mm -hmm. do you want to assume all of that risk yourself and say, I'm going to have my own fire truck part next to my house and I'm going to have, you know, my own construction crew to clear debris, you know, or protect my home from a burglary. You can have a police officer standing at your door the whole time. What do you do with that risk that's, that's to make a, really a more favorable great, outcome? Yeah, that's a really great way to, to look at it. But I, I don't assume that risk myself. I can't assume that risk myself. I cannot be responsible for that big of an asset and assume all of the risk of something happening to it. So I mitigate that risk through insurance. I share that risk with a large group of people mm -hmm. through homeowner's insurance. And with that insurance, if and when something happens, I can minimize my my liability of that risk through insurance. Yeah. So you're taking that risk and you're selling it to somebody else. Exactly. You're paying a premium. They're buying it from you and assuming that, and, and you're doing that for a premium. The, the insurance company is is specializes in doing that. So do fire departments. They specialize in doing that. Police departments, they specialize in, in taking on that risk and, and helping us with those problems. And that's worth the premium payment because 
you're better off financially not having to spend your money on owning a fire truck, right. sitting next to your house. Well, right? think about it from the bank's perspective, right? Most people buy a home with a mortgage associated with a home, yep. and the bank will not even let you do that because they're assuming some risk, and they won't they won't allow you they won't assume that risk unless you have mitigated that risk through insurance. And it, it's the same for for your automobile, exactly. right? You can't but you can't finance a car without both collision and liability insurance exactly. typically, and so there's. Those are the types of risks. So in our everyday life, when we're exposed to this potential for peril, we don't go about trying to to bring on more of it to better our situation. Mm -hmm. The more we can get rid of and even pay to get rid of it, it frees up resources. It frees up our ability to, to be more productive in other areas, and we're better off for it. So why is it that in the financial world, we're taught to bring the risk on to ourselves? I mean, I don't, that, that's the disconnect I have with this is why are we taught to bring the risk on ourselves instead of to share that risk or sell that risk so that we can get on to more profitable things. And I think that's a really great point. I mean, when you, when you look at the risk that you're exposed to, if you are, if you put yourself in a position of risk, a potential for loss that really eats up a lot of your mental capability, right? You spend the majority of your time thinking about what to do, how to do it, how to mitigate risk, you know, how to trade all of the different things and your mind is so focused on not losing. But if you can alleviate that burden and, and you know, going back to homeowners insurance or auto insurance, we were having this conversation yesterday. When you're driving down the road, if you have insurance on your car, you're not necessarily worried about getting in an accident. Now, you don't want to get in an accident. You try to do what you can to avoid that. But because you're not worried about it, your mind is open to listen to the radio, to think about what you're going to have for dinner, to think about your day at work, whatever it might be. Your mind is now free to do more productive things because you're not worried with that risk of loss. And if we go into the financial world where most people assume all of the risk on their own shoulders, man, you know, we, we, we talk to people that are stressed out of their minds. Paralyzed. This, paralyzed almost. every single day because of the fear of loss because they have all of the risk and all of the responsibility of that risk on their own shoulders. Yep. And they're the ones, those people we talk to, they're predominantly... 45, 50 years and older. Yeah. They've seen a couple shocks. Yeah. They, they're starting to understand what risk really is and they're, they're being paralyzed by it. And then we'll talk to, to maybe younger, more wet behind the ears investors that have bought into this. I'm, I'm going to take more risk because like I can get punched a lot of times and, and recover and they haven't gone through that quite yet. So I just kind of think it's just inevitable that eventually people are going to understand they're going to get hit enough times that they're going to understand what risk is and and they will end up in that in that position where they're going to be paralyzed unless they learn how to learn how to handle it right i mean going right. back to to my three little kids in the house right i mean you know when when the kids are young you're trying to teach them things that will keep them safe and one of the things that you're always teaching your kids is don't touch the stove right if you touch the stove something's going to happen mm -hmm. but they hardly ever learn it until they touch the stove and as soon as they touch it they realize immediately hey that was a risk. Here is the consequence, and I will never touch the stove again. Yep. Sometimes we're a little bit slower to learn with our finances. You know, we're, yep. we're, we take risk, we suffer the loss, we think that it might average out over the long run because that's what we're told. Yep. Um, but it's and there not are times the where we take risk that it pays off. Correct. Right. So it never pays to touch the stove. Right. That's always a negative. If you do it once, it's never going to happen again. But with investing, you could take a risk, and by sheer luck, do really well, and then you could be anchored to that and say, "Ooh." I mean, it's like. I don't play golf for very specific reasons. And it's because if I hit one good shot, I will go 
for hours and play golf lots of times to hit that. Just think about that. Man, I had that one shot and trying to replicate it, but I can only do that once every like 10,000 times I play golf. So I just like, look, I'm not going to, I can't do that to myself, but I think that's the way we are with investing. We hit that one perfect investment and, and we're going to keep going for it. And, and we're going to be willing to get punched a lot of times to try to, to try to have that feeling that went with that one, that one good time. So yeah. it's a little more difficult to learn with investing. It's not as simple as just touching the stove. Um, but the thing that intrigued me about risk is who we're learning it from in the investing world, mm-hmm. right? Insurance companies with your car, they're, they're telling you, you should not bear that risk. It's too much. Let, let us help you with that. But we're learning about taking on more risk. The people that are teaching that are the financial institutions, mm-hmm. right? Our banks, mutual fund companies are saying, oh, you need to take on more risk. Well, let's put ourselves in their shoes and see why they might be teaching it that way. Have you ever thought about that? I don't think very many people probably have. No, no, that's a good, that's a good point that you bring up. So as you're putting money into your 401k and Mm -hmm. your advisor, now this might not be your advisor per se, but the the industry is telling you when you're younger, take on more risk because, because you're going to get a higher reward. Well, how is that company making its money and how is that company benefiting from you taking more risk? Well, you know, think about it from a, you know, I'm going to use a little bit of a pers- personal example here. I remember going into the corporate world right after college. Mm-hmm. I learned nothing about investing as I was in college. Nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I learned about how to be a good employee and how to do my job that I got hired to and do. And how to save into your 401k. Exactly. Account, right? So I get hired and who was my financial advisor? Well, it was my HR director. I sit down with my HR director who also knows nothing about investing and that person tells me, okay, fill out these forms. We're going to take an automatic deduction out of your paycheck, and you're going to be investing for your retirement, right? Saving for yeah. your retirement. And as I, I remember looking at all the different fund options there, and they you know, had a lot of little, little acronyms and some historical percentages and 10-year lookbacks, I had no idea what I was doing. Was I saving mm-hmm. for retirement? Was I investing for retirement? You know, we, we talked about that. But who wins in that equation? It's the financial advisors. It's the financial company who is managing those services I was on schedule to save, which means every two weeks when I got paid, um, money would be deducted right out of my paycheck. So it was kind of a, you know, don't think about it. It's it's just going away. And that was going to Fidelity or one of the other, you know, management companies Mm -hmm. out there. And they were getting paid to, to, to facilitate my desire yeah. for now, the certainly they only got paid if 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 they benefited you, right? Well, you would like to think that, <laughs> but no, that's not the case. But in two thousand, so in two thousand eight, when everybody's portfolio went down by forty percent, they all still got paid. Yeah, they all still get paid, right, of course. Okay, right. and and then I mean, if if you go in deeper to it, the higher risk funds, the more actively managed the fund, which really ends up putting a little bit more risk there. What are the fees charged with that? They go up a lot higher than right. just an index fund, right? Right. So so there there's certainly some incentive behind this. Now, in case you're wondering, okay, you guys are chicken littles, the sky is falling and, and there's all this conspiracy theory. Um, I'm going to go to somebody who, uh, if you don't know who John Bogle is, you, you can look him up, but he was the founder of Vanguard Group, really was kind of the father of mutual funds. Um, so he's certainly part of this. And in a frontline series, he was interviewed about this question, about the idea of, you know, what are what is the financial institution doing on that on their side of risk? And his one of his segment responses was he says, he says, the financial system puts up zero percent of the capital, took zero percent of the risk, and got almost eighty percent of the return. And you, the investor in this long time period, and you know, over the invest over somebody's investment lifetime, put up a hundred percent of the capital, took a hundred percent of the risk, and got only a little over twenty percent of the return. Now he went through kind of breaking out where the money goes and, and where the growth goes and how it all ends up working out to where he got that 80-20 split. So 
they're pushing us into taking all this risk so that they can get 80% of the profit and they're not taking any risk at all. Isn't that amazing? I mean, think about take stake take a step back from the financial world world. Would you go into business with anyone or enter into a partnership agreement with anyone if you had to do all of the work, put up all of the capital and take all of the risk for 20% of the reward? Of course not, right? And then same thing with your car insurance. If you had to put up all the premium and drive your car and then they just said, "Oh, you got an accident, sorry, pay for it or I'll only pay for 20% of it and you take on the other 80% of the risk, that doesn't make any sense either. Yeah. Right? The reason we're able to, we, we're willing to discharge risk is they're going to pay. They're going to, they're going to take that on. But here we're still taking on the other 80% of the risk because we're only getting 20% of the benefit. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we've, we've probably beat that horse enough. Hopefully again, this is just meant to make us all think about what we're taught to, to think about risk. Let, let's transition in, into this idea here. Um, and this is something we're not typically taught with our, with our portfolios. Risk is not static. So when you signed up for your company 401k account and filled out those papers, how often did you probably go back and review those? Well, first of all, I had no idea what I was getting into. Sure. So what would I even review? But no, I never did. Never I mean, did. You, you, I was on schedule to save yep. and that's really how it works. So if you looked at, at, and let's say you were a little more savvy than you were at the time and said, well, you know, I'm willing to risk you know, of all my net worth and everything that I've got and the savings I have and the obligations, let's say I, I'm willing to put $10,000 at risk, right? And based on how volatile I think things in, you know, I don't think I'll ever really have a, a probability of losing more than maybe $2,000, maybe a 20% drop. Mm -hmm. Okay. What happens when your portfolio goes from $10,000 to $100,000? Okay. Are you still really only exposed that $2,000 potential loss. No. I mean, you know, the bigger your portfolio is, the more risk you're exposed to, the more potential for loss you're exposed to. I mean, you know, if you think about the most dangerous time for anyone that's investing, it's always at the top of their, you know, their working career towards the tail end when they have the most assets to potentially lose. Mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, for a lot of the people that we talked to, 2008 was extremely devastating. Mm -hmm. You know, I know people who are planning on retiring, you know, just a few years post 2008 that had to extend their employment several years further simply because their assets were so great. And when they experienced that loss, it wasn't that small dollar amount that you talked about. It was yep. a percentage of a much greater asset. And, and that's the disconnect is risk models would have told that person they're taking the same amount of risk. Yeah. They have the same standard deviation. They have the same, you know, however you want to ma you know, measure that because it's all in, in percentage terms. It's not, it's not real to you. Right. But by putting $100,000 into an investment that could drop by 20%, you're now exposing $20,000 to loss, not $2,000. Yeah. So your, your risk is 10 times in dollar terms what it was before. Right. Now, there's mitigation strategy against that. You mentioned the older you get, the higher that risk becomes because your portfolio is larger. Any advisor would say, well, we would have been getting them into other investments all the way along. Well, we would have had to decrease your risk by 10 times. No financial advisor is going to say take 90% of your money and put it in fixed income when you're 55. Right. Right. There, so yes, there's some, some amount of mitigation to that, but it's never sufficient. And we saw that in 2008 when people's portfolios fell by half, even though they were diversified. Right. So, so that idea of understanding how risk really for you personally is not measured as a percentage. It's not measured as just a, a standard deviation or, or a volatility number. It's measured in dollars. It's mm -hmm. measured in how much of your assets are you willing to expose to that potential of loss. Right. You've got to look at it and answer that question. And, and you can't let somebody else answer it for you. And you can't, 
and so hopefully we're kind of building through some logic here. First, we need to understand that's only a potential for increase. And when we realize it's a potential for increase, you need to look at how much am I willing to put toward that potential, understanding the potential downside yeah. that goes with it. Along with that potential okay. for increase, there's a potential for, like you said, downside. I yep. mean, that's that's the whole model of this this market-based system is sometimes it goes up, sometimes it goes down. But if you look at the long run, what does it do? Yeah, it's always up. It's always right? up. Well, that's that's another great that's yep. that's that's the, a perfect segue into the next segment here because not only risk risk has to be measured in dollars, but it also has to be understood over a time period. Exactly. Risk isn't in a vacuum. It's not today because once you're into those investments and into those accounts, you, you, it's not easy to switch. Right. So as we're as we're taught about the market, if if I don't know if this investment advisor did that with you or not, but it, as you're taught about what the market my does. HR advisor. Right. Your <laughs> HR advisor. Um, what did he or she tell you about the timeline? I mean, what time lengths were, were you using or what listeners out there think to yourselves as you're talking about the market or you know, the, the risk involved with it? What time periods are we looking at? You know, I think the most predominantly used time frame is always a 30-year look back, yeah. right? We take a 30-year look at the market and the market in that 30-year period of time has some ups has some downs, but it's always on average up. up. Every any thirty year segment you take from the market, it's been up. There, mm-hmm. I don't think there is a thirty year segment that it's not been up. Probably even a twenty or even a fifteen year segment. Probably we can still find almost all of them up. Yeah. So again, those telling us to take on this risk are saying, "Yeah, thirty years, no, everything's fine, right?" But what about five years? Right. What ha- what over the next five years is going to be happening? Because I don't know about you. I can't plan anything out over about five days, let alone five years, let alone 30 years. Yeah. So with that in mind, if we if we take a 30 year approach, but we have a five or a 10 year horizon, are we apples to apples? Absolutely not. I mean, as you mentioned, risk is definitely a function of time. And if you're exposed to just as much risk as as you were, you know, when you're getting ready to retire, as you as you were when you started your working career, you're in a you're in a pretty difficult situation, mm-hmm. a much more risky situation because, you know, when you lose those assets, you're going to have a lot more to lose, and you don't have the time to recover. Yeah, and, there are lots of five year segments of the market that there was that it's it's gone down. It didn't go up, right? The market. I don't follow the market a ton, so hopefully I'm not exposing too much of my ignorance here. But just recently, in the last year, we've hit all time highs in the market, right? Mm-hmm. But what was the all time high from? Where when was that hit and set before? Oh, what was in 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 fifteen thousand was the all time high, right? And it's it's been over that since two thousand nine, I think, wasn't okay. that when it, so no, it hit no, it, it right right before the crash? I thought, yeah, it was in. I mean, I think that high that fifteen thousand has been for really the last fourteen yeah. years. I mean, I thought the market was very close to that in the dot com bubble, right? And then we got back up to it and set a couple highs, and then it came back down. We got so really, we can grab even the most recent ten year time period mm-hmm. and have almost a flat market. Right. So, so that idea of quantifying risk over 30 years, but then trying to apply it to any other time period other than 30 years is pretty risky. Even if you go out the other direction and go out 80 years, we actually start to see it come down as well, because we had a pretty good run through the you know, 80s and 90s right. that are kind of anchoring some of that. So, well, another thing to think about with that is even taking it to a shorter time frame. Whenever there's a loss in the market, right? If we go back to 2008 and we just throw out the 40% loss, mm-hmm. what would a person have had to do in 2009 just to get back to break even? Would they have to earn 40%? Well, that's what most people would think, right? 40% down, 40% on back to square one. Yeah, but it's actually double that, right? I mean, in order to recover from a 40% loss, you have to have an 80% gain the following year. You have to have twice the gain just to get you back to break even. Yeah, well, let, let's walk through that. That might be a little bit advanced for somebody driving the car that can't get a pen and paper out. Start with 
a hundred thousand dollars, you lose 40%. That's Mm -hmm. 40 grand, right? We go to 60. Right. Okay. So to take 60 back to a hundred, if we only had a, I'm going to get my calculator out here. 40% return. That would probably bump you up to around what? $80,000, 75,000. So that's, that's your about 20,000 to get another 20,000. You need about another 20%. So yeah, I think, you know, Roughly speaking, yeah, we need to get a double the rate of return just to get back to break even. And you know that that's a really interesting misconception that I know I had for several mm-hmm. years. You know, if, if the market lost ten percent and it earned fifteen percent the next year, I thought I was fine. I thought I was ahead, but it really I hadn't even broken even from the loss from the prior year. Yep. Okay. So we've covered a lot. We're only about thirty minutes in, but I think that's been a lot to digest. So let's let's summarize real quick, and then let's transition into some more examples, some something that somebody can do to solve this problem. So we, I think we've oversimplified risk, right? We've taken it from this potential of a really bad thing to happening to something we all want to have ourselves. We understand how we mitigate in other places that we're able to shift that risk to somebody else. But in our, in our financial lives, the risk is shifted to us. We're taking all of the risk and not getting all of the benefit for it. And then we've talked about the fact that risk is not static. Okay? It has to be quantified, not just in percentages, but it has to be in dollar terms, in real time periods that are meaningful. And, and understanding the math behind it. You know, one thing before we stop beating this okay. horse, and I know we're making this a scary topic for the month of October, hey, obviously, go. right? It's Halloween. But one thing that, that you know, I, I wanted to bring up with uh, risk as well is the difference between, you know, h- how most people tell you, if you're in the market, what you need to do to minimize your risk and it's diversify. Yeah. Is diversification really a risk mitigation strategy? On the surface, it sounds good, but in most cases, it, it really isn't. You know, you have systemic and non-systemic risk. Okay, so let's pause there. Let's let's answer. So when when you're talking about diversifying, what mm-hmm. you're meaning is, um, on a very simple basis, Coke and Pepsi. Right. If, if Coke does poorly, it's probably because Pepsi's doing good, right. and that loss for Coke is going to be offset by Pepsi. You can go further than that to say if the technology market is struggling, well, maybe durable goods is up. Mm -hmm. So we can buy different segments of the market so that we can, when something is down, something else is up when something else is something down. And and we, and we've, we're not putting all our eggs, you know, in one basket. Right. Right. So you're saying that's incorrect. It's partially correct, right? I mean, you can kind of do that, but how do most people invest today? They invest in the market and they're Mm -hmm. diversified among, you know, different market segments. And if there is a systemic crash, if there's an issue, let me pause you there too. Okay. What when you said non-systemic and systemic? What are we talking about when when we're saying that? Kind of going back to your Coke and Pepsi analogy. If there's a problem with Coke, it's unique to Coke, right? If their CEO so it, that's non-systemic, money, non-systemic. That's, that's right? a Coke issue, exactly. Okay? And so Coke will go down because Coke did something that caused their their stock to go down. Whereas Pepsi was doing well, and you kind of diversified through owning Coke and Pepsi. So that helped me against a non-systemic risk inherent to maybe just Coke all by itself. That's why I don't want all my money in just Coke. Right. Okay. But think about you as the investor. Do you really know what Coke's going to do? You don't know what you know, their internal workings are. You mm-hmm. can kind of read annual reports and things like that, but you're taking a little bit of risk. And so you can diversify potentially with a few different market segments or okay. a few different like, like-minded, you know, like companies in the same segment. Okay. So what's systemic risk? Then? So systemic risk, I mean, perfect example, 2008. If there are factors outside of, of the market in general that cause the market to, to to take a downturn, entire market segments altogether, it's really hard to mitigate that risk if all of your eggs are in the market basket. So systemic risk is the the 
risk of, of an entire asset class moving at the same time. Correct. Okay. So it's not just one individual company, but all the companies are all, it's not even companies, real estate. Right. Had that before, right? We might buy one home in one neighborhood, another in another, because you know, we could mitigate risk that way. But if all real estate goes down, that's a systemic issue that could impact all of those investments. Right. right? And think about the world that we live in today. I mean, the, the news is instantaneous. You know, I, I can't remember who the author was, but he wrote a book called The World is Flat. Mm-hmm. And, and that book really says that, that because of technology, you know, everyone is interconnected. And so something that happens clear across the, you know, the other side of the world will affect me right here in my seat today. And that's ever evident in, in the market. You know, we, we hear foreign news. We hear, you know, scares. We hear domestic problems or not domestic, but uh, country problems. We hear terrorism, all kinds of different things. And that all causes the market to move up and down. Non-systemic risk, it has nothing to do with Coke and Pepsi and the individual companies, but it's because the world is flat, there are factors that will cause the market to move. Okay. So diversification helps us against non-systemic risks, but it doesn't help us against systemic risks. Exactly. And what investors are exposed to, well, investors or savers in their 401k accounts are exposed to is they might be fed the line that that their portfolio is diversified and they should be able to sleep well at night. But in reality, all of their assets are in the one basket of securities. Right. It's all paper assets. Now, that to me doesn't feel like it's very diversified. That's, that's all, everything into one asset class. And if you approached that person or, or most investment advisors and said, should I invest all of my money in real estate? They said, no, 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 you need to be diversified. You need to have a little of this, a little of that. But if you say, should I invest, should I save everything for retirement into my 401k account, most would say, yes, yeah, that's safe because we'll diversify your portfolio. Right. So it's kind of a, it goes one way, but not, not the other. Right. And it's understanding those two forms of risks that that's an important paradigm to understand that yes, traditional diversification helps us with non-systemic, but we need asset class diversification to be able to help us against systemic risk. And we actually need, it, it actually needs to be even broader than that because in 2001, the entire stock market went down, mm-hmm. but real estate was fine, and most most jobs were fine. In 2008, what happened? Everything went down. Everything. Well, everything except insurance was one. Well, that, okay, know, yeah. Let's right, go. Yeah, go right. back to the foundation. So, so right? <laughs> couple things, couple things like that didn't. So we need something that is guaranteed to not go down ever. Right. Right. Because there's no rule that the stock market and real estate can't both go down. There's no rule that my house can't go in value and I would also lose my job. There, there aren't any rules for that. So again, going back to shifting and, and assuming that risk, one thing that insurance does is we can have a location to save and and sell that risk of ups and downs in a systemic way to somebody else. Because right. with, our, with, with our cash value, there is no systemic risk. It's not exposed to that. We've, we've sold that to the insurance company and we can get a benefit from it. Yeah, so that's, that's again, one way to truly diversify your asset class. Um, so there's that. Okay, so let's, let's. I think we've, we've defined a lot here. We've had a really good discussion. Hopefully- We've beat um, that risk course down, man. We've beat it, beat it, beat it with a baseball bat. Okay, so now that you're in submission, <laughs> let's talk about what our, what our solution is to okay. it. And you already mentioned it, you touched on it, but I, I, I shifted gears away from it because that's what I want to spend the rest of the time on. And you mentioned it, it was education, mm-hmm. right? My, I guess, thought example behind this is brain surgery to me is something that is incredibly risky. Right? I have no understanding of the human body. I have no understanding of, of chemistry or biology or anything that goes into any, any of that works. 
So for me to perform brain surgery on you would be a pretty risky endeavor. For sure. And my hands would be shaking. I'd be pale white. I mean, it'd be, it'd be a bad thing. But what about a brain surgeon? Is he approach and view it that way? No, he's, he's going to be much more educated and thus much more prepared to he'll, conduct the surgery. He'll, 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 he will tell you there are risks inherent with the operation, but he'll tell you this is how we're going to mitigate him. This is how we're going to control him. And our expected outcome is you know, X, Y, or Z. So, and he, he was probably very confident when he goes into it. He's understanding what he's doing. And so he has mitigated the risk of brain surgery through 20 years of education and experience doing it. Right. So the, the thing to understand about education is there is truth to the idea that added risk gives added potential for return. Correct. The only way we can achieve that potential is through taking something that is inherently risky to somebody else and making it not risky to us. Or less risky to or us. Or less risky. Yep. If we can control and mitigate the risk that's normally associated with something, then that's where we can get that reward or get that extra benefit. Correct. So, you know, a perfect example, if we, if I'm going to bring this personal and we can yeah. kind of make it personal with yes. both of us, you know, we, we do a lot of real estates. Mm -hmm. And as we go through and look at our real estates, um, you know, the real estate that we're doing today is, I would say, pretty sophisticated. We know exactly what we're looking for. We know exactly how to measure it. We, we do our anal analysis on the neighborhoods, the type of properties, you know, single family. I mean, we really take it to the, the, to the extreme. And so we kind of narrow down what actually fits into that teeny tiny little box. And once we can fit something into that little box of, you know, checking off all the, the marks that says, yes, it meets all of these requirements, we know we've minimized our risk really, really small. Mm -hmm. Now, on the flip side of that, when I first started in real estate, you know, you had to learn some lessons. And, and those lessons can be and were for me huge teaching opportunities. As I made mistakes in real estate, I lost money. You know, I took, a, I took more risk because I didn't have the education to back up or even to really know what I was looking for in some cases. And when I lost money, that was a pretty, that was kind of my hand Touching on the, the stove, stove. right? Yep. And I said, okay, I don't want to do that again. So on the next property that I'm going to do, I'm going to minimize my risk from learning from that experience. Yep. So education gave, gives us the perfect tool to systematically remove and eliminate and really minimize our risk so we can be really more sophisticated investors. So it's a difference from yep. saving and investing. If you are truly an investor, the way you minimize your risk is through education. Yeah. And, and your example is actually very different from mine. Yours was I learned from touching the stove. Um, not that I have a Midas touch or anything, but I haven't yet really lost money on a deal yet. And I attribute that to the, the other thing about our world is flat is I can read everybody else's experience with it. And as I started to want to get into real estate and investing there, I set, I'm a, I, I get really excited and I want to just start yeah. somewhere. And so I set myself a goal when I decided real estate was it. I said, I'm going to do research for one year before I buy a property. And I, I actually, I, I was working part-time. My wife was working as well. I was, I was in school still. And, and so I actually, I quit my job and I said, I'm going to take that time and I'm going to study and I'm going to research. And I did it. I mean, I, the, the hours I was normally working, I wasn't doing other things. I set everything aside and I was, I was studying and I was reading books. I was listening to podcasts. I was I had some mentors that I would meet with regularly and I went and I gathered all the information and I decided exactly how I want to buy, what my formula is going to look like. And I made my first property purchase in 2007. Best time to buy property, right? Mm, yeah, for sure. <laughs> right at the top. <laughs> and I bought all, I bought most of my property in 2007 and 2008 before everything came crashing down. Yeah. Now I knew a lot of other people that I'd gotten to know that were starting out like me that had to file bankruptcy because they bought at that time. 
but I still own all my property and all of it is putting money in my pocket. Now, I'm not, from a market valuation standpoint, I'm not up, but I'm collecting rent checks every month. Mm -hmm. So I looked at how I needed to make money and what I needed to rely on. And I wasn't willing to just jump into the hype of the, of the speculation. Investing, to me, it was investing. It was controlling and mitigating risk. And I said, I want this to go up in value, but if it doesn't, I need it to cash flow. And that's the only reason I still have the property. I'm not bankrupt. So I looked at it and saw a bunch of other people touching the stove and said, okay, I'm just going to avoid the stove altogether. And that's, that's been me all growing up. I was never the kid that was just getting into trouble. I was looking at other people and, you know, my mom would yell at my brother and be like, I'm never doing that because I don't want you yelled at. <laughs> you know, I've always been on the opposite end of the spectrum. I have to touch the stove to realize it's hot, even though it looks yep. hot. And even though my brother just got burned, I don't know for sure if it's hot until I've touched it. And, and for me, I, I learned lessons, you know, kind of doing the same thing. I read, I tried to partner with really smart people, but I had to make some mistakes. And that mm -hmm. was part of my education. And there was a really, a really good one that stands out in my mind. You know, very early on in my investing career, I decided to be everything, right? I decided to step in and say, okay, I, to make more of a profit because money talks, right? I want, yep. I'm going to take more re risk for more reward. I tried to find my properties. I tried to manage my properties. I tried to do everything along yep. the way. And it got to a point, you know, I, I bought a really great property. I think I did a pretty good due diligence on the front end. I knew what I was looking for, and I bought a really good property. But then when it came time to find a tenant in the, for the property, I was going to do, uh, you know, a lease option opportunity. Mm -hmm. I advertised it. I had a bunch of people come. I had applications filled out, and I narrowed it down to two people. One of the people scared me to death. I mean, his, his application, when I did his credit check, and when I looked into him, he was a mess. But he was willing to give me everything that I put into the property, he was willing to give it all to me back in a down payment for this lease option. So I was going to earn all of my money back in a matter of three days. And does Pretty money awesome. talk? Well, money talked to me. And I said, okay, I'm willing to take this risk, even though this guy looks sketchy. And even though, you know, there's a, I'm taking more risk here, money talks. So I took more risk for more reward. And for the next six months, I lost all of that money in, in you know, police that were at the house, damage that he did to the house trying to evict him from the house, him not paying rent. I mean, it was a mess. And in the long run, yep. I didn't make any money. I lost money, but I learned from that lesson. As soon as I finally got that dude out of the house and repaired my house, I put a new tenant in there, and I was very, very specific on the due diligence. And then eventually I turned it over to a management company. But it yep. taught me a lesson yep. that says risk does not equal reward. You know, I need to minimize risk through education. Mitigate risk through education, and, and in that case, um, you know, obviously some teams as well. Here's, here's some advice we can get from, I guess he's heralded as the world's greatest investor, Warren Buffett, <laughs> right? So let's go through a little bit of his stuff more generally as well. And then let's get to, to discussing a little bit of this way that we, you know, how we, how we mitigate it. He gives some, some interesting points. He says, keep it simple and steady, right? When, it, when promised quick profits, respond with a quick no. It doesn't sound like jumping in and saying, oh, I'm young, I can take the risk, yeah. right? So this is, that, that's kind of his there. He says, focus on the big picture. Focus on the future productivity of the asset you're considering. So how many people jump into something because it's shiny and new and exciting, yeah. right? How many people buy it because they, they don't really know anything about it, but it's what everybody else is doing? Well, I think in one thing that he said there, you know, over the last couple of years, this has made such a huge difference in my investing endeavors is focus on the big picture. You know, yeah. oftentimes I think, you know, going back to risk reward, we, we feel like we need to make the big gain today. We might yeah. lose it tomorrow, but we, we need it today. And so we, we shorten our horizon 
and we, we, we take more risk today to potentially get a higher payoff. But if we lengthen our horizon, yep. and this is what insurance companies are great at, if we lengthen our horizon and say, okay, over the long term, what am I looking to do? Yep. You can then you know take a little bit more of a controlled approach to how you invest. Yeah, and there's a quote by, we've talked a lot about Bill Bonner on here as well, but he, he says his objective for growing wealth is to just make slightly more positive decisions than negative. Yeah. He doesn't say all of his decisions or the overwhelming majority. He's just a slight amount more positive than negative compounded over lifetimes make the difference. Exactly. That, that's all you have to yep. do. If you can have steady, consistent growth, minimizing, you know, downsides, you yep. know, more positive decisions than negative ones over a long period of time, you're, yep. you're ahead. Here's another great one uh, by Warren Buffett. He says, don't speculate. Yeah. Okay. And this is, this is kind of the other side. We talked about saving versus investing. This is kind of the other direction, investing versus speculating. Mm -hmm. That's kind of further up the continuum. He says half of all coin flippers will win the first toss. <laughs> that's true. You got a 50% chance. That's right. <laughs> and that, and I think that's what gets people hooked. It gets people into this idea as well. I did it once and it worked out. Now they're trying to you know keep flipping to, to, to get the heads, but it's only going to come out 50-50. Yeah. Um, so what does he say about, I don't know if you have the quote on there. What does he say about diversification? Yeah, it's not on here, but I love that quote by him as well. What? Go ahead. I mean, he basically says, "Put all your eggs in one basket and watch it like a hawk." And watch that basket. Yep. Yeah. So it's 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 a it, and that goes to education and control. Um, so here's another one: don't obsess with the small picture. That's just kind of a, I guess, the flip side of of the having the big picture. And then the last one I really like. He says, "Market predictions are a waste of time." Mm. How much time does everybody? You read an article today on CNN Money yeah. about market predictions. What was that? You know, it was kind of funny. And, and here's our wishbone versus backbone moment if you were looking for that. But let, let's, yeah. let's let's bring that one up now. It, 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 the headline kind of caught me. It, it said something on CNN Money, Halloween, boo, don't be scared, something like that. You know, the market's taken a little bit of a hit these last couple of weeks. You know, it went from its all-time high and it's now sunk back into, you know, yeah. down, down. Controlled pullback or Controlled whatever you want to call it. Right? And uh, the, the article basically said, if we look back at historically, Octobers in general, you know, if we, if we look back over a 30-year period of time, there have been Octobers where the market has been down. And so, boo, don't be scared. Yeah. Halloween, October, markets are down. It'll be up tomorrow. Average it out over 30 years and you're fine. Yeah, leave your money with us. We'll keep yeah. charging you fees while yeah. it's down and then <laughs> everything will be fine, right? So I like what, he, you know, continuing on that, he says, forming macro opinions or listening to the macro or market predictions of others is a waste of time. Indeed, it's a day... It, it is dangerous because it may blur your vision of the facts that are truly important. Yeah. So it, it blurs that amount of education that you can get, what you can control, what you can mitigate, right? Because back to the brain surgery example, the world would say cutting somebody's head open is probably not a very good idea. And if you listen to that, well, we wouldn't be able to fix the stuff we can where he can say, no, 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 in a controlled, all of this, we can get benefit from it. Um, it it's understanding that. And then the last rule I like from Warren Buffett is probably, I think anyway, one of his more famous ones where he says, uh, he gives two rules for investing. First one is don't lose money. And the second one is don't forget rule number one. Yeah, go, okay? Those are good rules. So he he is not what we would, th I mean, the most successful investor, we think he's, you know, wild, wild west, gunslinger, cowboy type. That's not it at all. He's talking big picture. He's talking don't speculate, don't lose money, don't listen to what everybody else says, keep it simple and steady. You know, those are the, those are the rules to success, Okay. And, and I think for us, what we are teaching clients to do with our system is before you can take any amount of risk, before you can, the first step to controlling risk is having a foundation. Yes. We, we focus with clients on an education first. We 
painstakingly take clients through. We have a lot of how many people do you have call in and say, I'm ready to go, just sign me up and let's do it. <laughs> you say, hold right. on there, gunslinger, yeah. let's let's slow down and go through some education. Not it. We will not sell it to you yeah. until we take you through this educational process because that that to us is the most valuable thing that we offer is walking people through and helping them to understand these types of concepts. Then putting them in a savings vehicle that has very little risk all of the control and all of the benefits. And that's where we start by building that foundation to then allow us to take calculated, premeditated, understood, controllable risk to then get the investing benefit down the road. Well, you know, if we go back to real estate a little bit, I mean, you know, we've all heard the the fairy tale of, or I don't even know if it's a fairy tale, but the parable of building your house on sand or building mm-hmm. your house on a rock. And if we talk about a foundation, if we have a, sh- a shaky foundation because we've we've invested all of our money in things that we don't control and things that will go down and potentially don't have the the ability to go up like we've thought, then our fa- our financial foundation is always shaky. And when 2008 happens, when anything happens, really, it shakes us to the very core. As opposed to if we build our financial foundation on something steady, something secure, and we've minimized that risk simply by the product that we've chosen then we can build on that foundation. And if anything happens above that foundation, it might shake that that next level up, but our foundation always remains true. Yeah, and that right there, I mean, very well put, that, that's a great thing to probably just wrap up on because that that's the biggest risk that we can possibly take. Greater than the money that we put into any other investment, it's if we don't have the foundation built underneath us, that decision, because the foundation isn't there, that one decision or risk could then jeopardize everything else and bring the whole house of cards yeah. down. So it really does start with those two fundamentals, having the the foundation of savings and the, and the foundation of, of uh, an education. Yeah. And, and the other, the other system, it almost forces you into more of a risky position. I mean, it really does. I mean, if you're, if you're investing for the future and you have to suffer losses throughout, you have to kind of be willing to take more, more yeah. risk if you're involved in that situation. Whereas if you have a foundation that is always there, that is always growing Man, it gives you so much economic assurance that you can build on and then assume, you know, incremental risk above and beyond that. But, you know, for me in my life, when I started doing this system and this concept, it changed everything, having a solid foundation versus having a shaky foundation. And it's enabled me to kind of open my eyes and say, okay, I've minimized my risk. You know, I've protected me, the, the a producer in my family. I've protected my human life value. So I've covered my family. And now my eyes are open to opportunities. I see things that, that I probably never would have seen otherwise if I was solely focused on trying to watch over that little risky nest that I had to protect it from losses that I can't control. Yeah, now let, let, let's spend a minute on that, actually. I'm, I'm glad you brought that back up because this whole idea of building on a strong foundation and blah, 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 that, that could be, you know, okay, they're selling unicorn's milk because how do we really quantify that? How do we measure it? For you mentioned a little bit, but for me, it's the same way because I have that locked down. I can then, I can see opportunities that I wouldn't have seen otherwise. And that has come true. So for me specifically, um, I feel like I'm fairly savvy, at least with managing my real estate portfolio. I'm, I'm comfortable being able to do that. And I have over a million dollars of real estate liabilities in my name. If my, if I were to not be here, my wife to inherit that, that's not her skill set. And she would not be able to manage. She would be the first to say, there's no way I could manage it the same way or feel even comfortable with that. So the only reason that I'm willing to continue to grow that, my real estate portfolio, which is where I have my education around and I have some ability to mitigate risk and generate those mm-hmm. returns is through the death benefit coverage that I have in my insurance policies. 
because I know that if I died tomorrow, all of that risk that I've just taken or I'm currently taking and able to manage is completely gone. Yeah. That is all paid off and and then my wife can can live and do that. Whereas if I didn't have that, I would be a lot more hesitant to continue to take those controlled and calculated and so far profitable risks. And I would be stuck back where a lot of other people are not, you know, paralyzed, not able to move forward. Yeah. Okay. And then and then similarly, there are deals that have come along that if I had my money in a 401k, I wouldn't have been able to participate in the deal. Further to that, I have created specific relationships. I can name five other individuals by name right now that I have investing relationships with that if I didn't have the the experience in the investments that I've made and the capital to back it up and the ability to make those decisions with them, that I, I wouldn't be anywhere near the investor that I am today. So it is, it's impossible for me to tell a client, here are the benefits that you're going to get by taking this other strategy, but it doesn't make them any less real or any less tangible. For sure. And, and understanding that idea of operating from a base of certainty, there isn't, we've, we've referenced this before. There's an article called the economic of certainty written by Les McGuire. It's, it, it really does it the best job I've ever heard of, of trying to quantify those, those nebulous benefits that come from having that financial backing that, you know, that, that sure foundation to build off of. You know, what I call it is, uh, I call it my sleep well at night account. Mm -hmm. You know, without that, how many people out there have experienced sleepless nights? You know, I, I know when I talk to people that are highly invested in, in qualified plans in the market, any little blip in the market, it, it sets them off. It yep. really does. I mean, it's out of their control. And so, as they're trying to plan for the future, they're not in control of the of what their plan is going to generate because they don't have any control of that investment. Yeah. For me, on the other hand, uh, that that insurance gives me the ability to sleep well at night. I yeah. always know what it's doing. I always know what my my potential to do is with that policy. And then, furthermore, to that point of being able to to do real estate, the death benefit gives you that. I mean, it's the permission slip to do that. Without yeah. that death benefit, you wouldn't really have the permission to take on those many of those risks. In the event of you passing, what would happen, you know, to your wife and to your family? But yep. the death benefit then becomes yep. a permission slip to utilize all of your skill sets and all of your assets and all of your resources more effectively yep. than you otherwise could. I, I, I kind of think about it like a sponge. We can only absorb so much risk, yeah. all of us. And if you if if you are so absorbed in the risk that you're taking in your 401k account that you're not sleeping at night and you're paralyzed, how could you calculate and mitigate a risk? anywhere else. Yeah. You're just not going to be able to do it. So the more you can get rid of it, we can then focus on the risk that we want to take, that we can control, and that we that we can get that increased rate of return from, rather than just absorbing all this unnecessary risk and stress um, that goes into our investing lives. So I don't know about you, man, but that risk, it's not all it's cracked up to be, right? No, I, <laughs> I go back to the definition we started out with, the, the potential for peril. Yeah. You know? So, well, uh, that that wraps up about. I think that wraps up our time here. Thanks, Ryan, for for joining me. And I, I hope everybody out there, listeners, enjoyed this. I hope it turned your brain on, made you think, shook up some paradigms. And uh, like I mentioned at the beginning, uh, stay subscribed to our to the radio program. We'll have this every Wednesday, same time. Um, also follow us on. We've also launched kind of to go into this. We've launched what we've called the Wealth Standard, and that is our approach to how how to go about all of this, how to really have a plan behind what your savings and investing in your financial life looks like. So we've already done three of the series. The fourth one is coming up later this month. If you want to get caught up on the other ones, go to 
www.thewealthstandard.com and the three videos that we've already done are posted there. We're doing two more videos where we actually start rolling out a lot of the solutions to what the problems we've raised before. But um, so those are some of the resources. And like I said, thanks for joining us uh, and see you next time. All right. You've been listening to the Wealth Standard Radio Show, your gold standard in everything financial. Thank you for listening.